Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at Costa Rica Travel Pass dot com or calling one eight seven 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 eight zero seven two seven seven. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. Glad to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook under LDS Leadership Principles. And you can also find this podcast on iTunes as well as on its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. This episode is the second and final part of my interview with Brittany Hartley. And perhaps maybe that leads kind of into the next one. You you wanted to talk a little bit about overcoming fear of church discipline or of being rejected. And I think in a large extent that may be a prohibitor a lot of times in why some of our sisters, even our brethren, perhaps don't speak up when something doesn't make sense or they don't agree with something. Would you mind expounding on that? Sure. So as a woman, I've, I've seen great strides, um, in fields like history and philosophy that were largely, you know, held by men in the past. Um, great strides in, in fields where women are, you know, coming out and that, um, you know, great things are being done by women, women in politics, women in anxiously engaged in a good cause in a number of fields. And one of the problems facing, you know, intellectual women and, there's such a need for them and we need them so bad. And one of the reasons that another reason why they're not there is, is sometimes they're there, but they're so afraid of the feminist pushback then, you know, the huge negative pushback that they, that they don't, you know, come out and speak. And so there's events, you know, in the past, like the September 6th um, was very famous where um, some women feminists were excommunicated, excommunicated by the church um, and so there's then this kind of culture that if you want women to be more, if you want women to be more well-rounded, if you want women to, you know, self-actualize into everything that they can be, you're a feminist and you want to overthrow the church and you want to have the priesthood and have a female prophet and, and it's wrong. And so there's then this extremism where you're either a feminist who wants to destroy the church or you are a nice, obedient homemaker. 
And then there's not this in-between where there are women who are very faithful and knowledgeable of the gospel who want to just separate, you know, doctrine and culture and make it so that, um, you know, the church is better for the women inside it. And so there's this fear in the church of speaking out and fear of being called disobedient. I myself, when I was going through my faith crisis and studying some of these things, I was told by my bishop that I was being disobedient. And I've been told by people, you know, that you're that you're a feminist and this and this kind of thing when really, you know, I'm I'm just trying to help. And there's a lot of things in the church. For example, Sunday school presidents are are almost always men. In fact, I've only ever known men to be a Sunday school president when that calling um, is not one that requires the priesthood. And so why are no women ever in that calling? So there's things like that, that um, feminists in the church, um, that there are real issues and there are still things that can be done to protect the woman in the home and protect this idea of family, but still allow women to be all that they can be and not and not be held back. And we have yet to overcome this, this fear in the church, this fear of feminists and that they're going to take the priesthood and all this stuff. Um, and that fear in the church causes some women to not speak out, to not write, to not, um, be involved, um, because there's such a huge negative pushback. Um, and until we address that fear and until there's a safe platform for these women, um, we're not going to see them, and they're not going to be able to do the work that they that they so need to do. You know, it's just, it, and you're 100% right on. There is this inability to question things that have nothing to do with the doctrine, have nothing to do with the gospel, that simply are the appendages to it, the the cultural mores or norms that we follow. And, and there is really no reason why we shouldn't be able to say, hey, you know, why, why do we do things this way? Or is this a better way to accomplish that? Or can we, can we get there quicker going about it this way? And yet, for many, that resistance is absolutely met with when, when one tries to do that. Right. And when a woman speaks those things, they're often, you know, called a feminist. And that has a very negative term in this church. Um, and, you know, we have to eventually get through that in order to separate some of these things that are in the church because of culture rather than based on doctrine. Um, in the, in the beginnings of the church, um, sexism and racism was a part of America as a whole. And some of those things did creep into the church. And some of those things specifically with sexism is still, is still left over and still has yet to work itself out through doctrine. Um, and we're going to have to see that, you know, improve in order for women to have this safe platform. You know, Sunday Sunday school president you brought up, you're 100% right in that. Well, first off, the handbook says it is a it is a priesthood calling, but yet unlike other callings, we've never really been given an explanation of why a Sunday school president or counselors in a Sunday school presidency require priesthood. And it doesn't seem like, without an explanation, I'm not questioning the church, I'm simply saying that I don't, I don't have the information available to me to understand why that is. And it would seem, in my mind, like you feel, that a Sunday school president is kind of outside of the administrative function of priesthood. Um, it would be curious to see why that is and, and 
perhaps along some line, even if Sunday school president, you know, for whatever reason does require priesthood, why we can't have other callings similar to that where the sisters can be involved in and essentially heading up uh, some of the teaching in the war. Right, and per, you know, perhaps I said that wrong, you know, if, if according to the manual it is a priesthood calling. I guess in general I'm more talking about callings in the church that do not seem to require the priesthood. And if it does require the priesthood, um, then having similar callings for women so that there is a framework for women to work with, um, rather than just having leadership opportunities for men, because then only men are getting these great leadership opportunities that that um you know women could be accessing no i agree completely so hopefully um somewhere down the road uh, i'll have a chance maybe in a in a training meeting or perhaps you will to just ask why does a sunday school president require priesthood and maybe we'll uh maybe we'll get an answer on that and again hopefully some other things come down the the pipe that uh that kind of give an opportunity for for the sisters to be more involved in that area um it seems like with this issue and with lots of the other issues that we've talked about, it, it's one of the solutions is it's it's time for some intellectual sisters to speak up and to start sharing some of these ideas and concepts. Definitely, and so what you're seeing the most recent um, the most recent kind of bubbling over of this kind of sentiment was with the pants protest, where um, you know feminist women in the church were going to get together and wear pants to church on Sunday because they felt that, you know, wearing a skirt um, was kind of a social thing and not doctrine, and they they felt like raising attention to the issues that, um, it, the issues in the church where there was still some, you know, sexism going on. And so I, I didn't participate in that protest. Personally, I felt like it was, it didn't do them any um, justice to have a protest in sacrament meeting. Um, I feel that to be inappropriate during a sacrament meeting. And so what we're going to find, I think we're going to find more things like that in the future, that until there is a safe place for intellectual women in the church and until women um, who do want to speak out, who do want to write, who do want to address these issues um, without being called feminists and without um getting that huge negative pushback and be calling dis, you know, being called disobedient. Um, until we have that in place, you're going to see these bubbling over um, kind of protests um, that, you know, they raise some issues, but it's probably not the best way to go about making changes in the church. Did you notice more pants on that Sunday? I didn't in my ward, but I live in Idaho, and we're quite conservative over here. So I'm I'm a minority um, gotcha. over here, but I but some you know some did, and I you know I don't judge them for it, but for me personally, it wasn't the way to go about some of these changes that I also want to see made in the church. Um, but until we find a place to talk about it, other than you know silly protests like this. And, you know, we're going to still see these things continue to pop up until we address this as a church. Right. The sisters are going to continue to express their their frustration with not being able to express themselves in the same way that some of the brethren are, are have an outlet to do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you're right. You'll, you'll certainly see more of, uh, of that. Um, for me, in just that particular issue, um, I don't. You know, 
I was aware of it, you know, being kind of on the internet and, and looking at LDS issues. I was aware that that was going to happen. And being in my ward that day, I, I don't know that I even looked around and noticed it one way or the other. I just, I think there's bigger things in the gospel to focus on. And I, I agree with you when you say that, you know, yes, I understand why they feel the need to do that, but that really wasn't, that really wasn't the way to accomplish it. No, and there were there were bigger issues that they were fighting for other than just the comfort of wearing pants to church, which sure. I'm not going to lie would be sometimes nice. But um, there were bigger issues, but that just, to me, wasn't the, the best and most effective way to go about it. But until we find an effective way, you're going to still continue to see these things within the church. Agreed. So going from that one to the next one you've got is keeping politics out. And I always find this interesting. I'll, I'll let you expound on it, but before you do, I find it unique within our faith. Of course, a lot of Latter-day Saints are Republican, and a lot of Latter-day Saints are extreme conservatives. And even though kind of on the surface we acknowledge that there are those from lots of political parties in the church, it seems like off in the corner of the foyer you're like, hey, you know, um, everybody is Republican, and that's the only way to, to, to be right and to have the truth. And, and and yet it's almost, I don't know, it's almost like if you're Democrat, you're looked down upon. Um, would you mind sharing with us kind of your feelings on, on the sisters and keeping politics out? Sure. So in all these issues, I'm, I'm really, you know, the depth of this question and why I want to go into politics are, are why is I'm still answering the question, why do we not have more intellectual women? And Sometimes it's the programs and it's the polygamy and it's the negative feminist pushback that you'll get from leaders in the church. There's not enough resources. And another way that often these intellectual women are, um, you know, feel like such a minority and feel so alone to the point that they actually leave the church um, is is politics as well. If you are an election, if you are an intellectual woman and you've had some level of higher education, um, statistically, it says that if you, the more higher education you receive, um, going to, you know, master's and PhD, and the fact that you're a woman, the bigger tendency you'll be to be a Democrat, um, for issues, you know, for reasons that we don't really need to go into. But, um, in the church, it's, it's my favorite or my least favorite Sunday in all of church is Fourth of July Sunday, and the reason that is is you'll see the combination of, you know, we're grateful to be blessed to be in America, and all, then all of a sudden it turns into Republican Sunday. Let's bomb everyone else. Support our leaders. Obama is Antichrist, and all these other things that you know actually I have seen come into play you know, at church, which is so inappropriate. And so to an to an intellectual Mormon woman who is already on the fringes, you know, of of church culture, this is just another way that, that she would be then excluded um from feeling like this is a community that she that she could be a part of. Right. And I've experienced some of those same things too. You know, I kind of giggled when, when you said that uh that we sometimes listen to the 4th of July talks and we hear people express that things in such a way as to indicate that God is an American. I remember going to the Washington, D.C. Visitor Center next to the temple, and they have the Christus statue there with 
with the, you know 300 buttons around it of different languages of the Savior speaking, and we all have in our mind the Savior speaking in this beautiful English accent, um, this American accent of English, mm-hmm. and, and explaining who he is and telling us about his mission. And it almost, it really caught me off guard when I started pushing some of the other buttons <laughs> and hearing the Savior speaking not only in another language, but no longer with the tone of voice that I had come to uh, expect of him. And it was eye-opening for me to realize that Christ is the Savior of all mankind, not just not just because we say it and we teach it and we read scriptures about it, but to really understand that. And that as we look at the world at large, there are lots of other issues going on besides the ones we debate every day in this country. And it certainly makes sense that that we probably need to take a better approach at backing off of some of those um, extreme views of trying to make it always seem like the Savior is this hardline Rush Limbaugh <laughs> conservative. I sure, when I that sure probably isn't the case. <laughs> Yeah. I sure hope not. And, and this isn't an issue that is, that is, um, just for women. I would say that democratic men feel this kind of thing in the church as well. And it just goes to show in general, the big issue here is that we need to focus on the parts of the gospel that are universal. There's a great talk that I can send to you that you can post out, um, called the universality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, um, really addresses kind of some of the stigmas um, that we may have about God being an American and this kind of thing. And the better we can get at um, not focusing on the purely American or cultural or ritualistic parts of the church, but get to the gospel that is above culture, above nation, above race, above people, um, the more pure the doctrine is going to be. Right, and and I'll I'll admit I'm I'm a conservative. I I am I guess I would label myself as a Republican. But when I look at the life of Jesus Christ and the way that he interacted with those that he in, encountered uh, along the roadside and in the temple and and inside the city walls, the way in which he behaved, the way in which he dealt with mankind, doesn't carry every single one of those concepts to a T and finds many of them on the other side of the aisle right. uh, in the helping of humanity, even to the extent of, of perhaps sacrificing oneself, uh, the things that oneself has to help uh, better the next person down. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to do a better job of kind of dealing with that, that dichotomy of politics and realizing that the gospel is an extreme on one side or the other. Right. There are parts of the gospel on both sides and, and for Democrats, that's that's what it's about. It's that if if the person you're voting for doesn't have a big say on, you know, gay marriage or abortion or or all these things, um, you know, not not everyone has a say on those issues. Specifically, your local leaders. Um, so just because you're against abortion doesn't mean, um, you know, that it's always right to be a Republican. There's oftentimes that, you know, the heart of the nation. Um, is is with the Democrats, and that's what you know. James E. Faust felt he was a Democrat, um, and that's what other you know Mormons think in the church, and they should be able to, you know, feel accepted e- even though they're a part of the minority in the church. Yep, yep. 
Now, the, the next issue you've got listed is womanhood is bigger than motherhood. I am I'm quite interested in hearing uh, you explain what you mean by that. So again, I'm, I'm going back to ways that women feel isolated in the church and ways that women leave the church. And um, a, a, one of the big reasons why women leave the church is that if you don't fit the classic um, look of a Utah Mormon who's married in the temple and has children, um, oftentimes you feel like the church has no place for you. Um, and this one is very real to me. I have, I have some cousins who, um, didn't get married, um, and, you know, eventually in their thirties, um, left the church, not because they didn't believe it, but because they didn't feel like their church had any room for them. Um, and so what this is, 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 um, in the church, there is still, there has to be a way of protecting motherhood, protecting children, protecting, um, the family and still allowing being a woman be bigger than that. Um, before I had children, it took me and my husband seven years to have our first child. Um, I, I got a lot of negativity in the church. I, I had people whisper to me in sacrament meeting, you know what, it's, it's time to step down from, from your career and it's time to have a child. Um, or, other people in the church who don't have children and they don't know how to get involved in the church. And so I, I think as the church gets better in allowing all kinds of people, not just your stereotypical Utah Mormon family, that um, you will see um, these marginalized groups who are leaving the church actually feel like, like they can be in the church. Because if you're not a mother or if you're not married in the church, you shouldn't feel like Mormonism is not for you. And so there has to be a way to balance then this issue of we're always trying to protect motherhood, specifically against, you know, this worldview of having less children. Um, but sometimes we go too far in that where you where women in the church are feeling like if they're not mothers, um, then they're not Mormons. And that that definitely has to be addressed so that womanhood is bigger than motherhood. I when I was a young women's president, before I had children, um, I w- served a motherhood type role to those girls that, that I was in charge of. Um, when I teach my class, um, teach my classes, I relate to those children. I had my nieces and nephews that were important to me. And, um, there has to be a way to, to be a woman and be all the strengths that a woman is in the church without always having to be a mother. No, and that's and that's great. And and we you're 100% right. We've got to find a way to, you know, still be allowed to teach ideals and principles but completely remove the guilt when people choose uh another acceptable path or another path we way too often make people feel bad for not fitting into the mold of what a perfect LDS family looks like. Definitely. And yeah, we've got to get away from and that. And that's especially, that's especially true for, for women, um, that, that there's this mold of all the to-do list things you're supposed to do to be a woman. And if you're not, then there's this great sense of guilt and, and leaving the church and that you don't fit in or you're a feminist or you're not married or you're not a mother 
or all these things. And eventually we need to get over the culture of Mormonism so we can be a so we can be all that we say that we are, which is, you know, the true and living church of Jesus Christ upon the earth, which is a universal gospel that includes everyone. The uh, the next one on your list was to focus on spiritual strength. We all need to be in tune with the Holy Ghost. We all need to have access to resources that that build our faith and lift us up. How do you see the sisters' um, predicament in, in this area, and what can we do to fix it? The, 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 the woman part of this problem of focusing on your own personal spiritual strength, strength is if you go up, is if you grow up in the church, chances are you had a father, you had home teachers, you've always grown up with a bishop and a stake president and a prophet. Um, and sometimes women mistakenly, um, become dependent on the men in their life for their own personal spiritual path and convictions and um oftentimes then we get these incomplete women who um think that they have to be dependent on others in order for their own personal relationship with god and to have their own revelations and their own witnesses on doctrine you know doctrine and principles in the church and so um, women need to know that they have rights within the church and that there are some areas that the spirit will speak directly to her rather than to her husband. Um, for me personally, issues of, of rearing um, children and in my case, trying to have a child, those revelations came to me, um, whereas where to go um, and, and job kind of things always went to my husband and um women in a faith crisis um specifically if they're going through you know the polygamy and this kind of issues if they have never practiced getting their own revelation getting their own spiritual guidance if they've never had a calling in leadership because they've been in the primary if they've never had a calling that stretched them where they had to depend on revelation it is unlikely that we've talked about those moments when your back again is against the wall and that that you you know seek revelation if if our women don't know that they need their own spiritual witnesses and can have their own personal relationship with God and haven't practiced that then it's unlikely that they will know and be able to work through some of these tougher issues right it's almost like taking the principle the misconception of following the prophet blindly right. and then even extending it further to following the priesthood blindly. Mm-hmm. And so our sisters will go to the brethren for answers on things when Heavenly Father is perfectly comfortable in hoping that they'll they'll go and consult him and receive an answer through the Holy Ghost. Right, and I'll, I'll give you a personal example. Um, in, sure, that'd be in, great. Uh, when I was... I was released from Young Women's and I served um, in another ward as a, um, I think it was a, beesh- a beehive advisor in the church. And um, the bishop at the time was, like I said, one of those scouting fundamentalist black and white kind of Mormons. And um, he wanted the Young Women's program to be run more like the scouts. 
and specifically he wanted us to meet have meetings have presidency meetings with our with our beehive presidency um, every week and wanted to do um, a lot of changes um, to the young women's program to um, for example make personal progress you know have them work on it like it like the scout manual and make all these changes to to kind of make the young women's program more like more like scouting and more efficient and through my personal you know spiritual experiences i received a witness that some of these changes were not right for for my beehives and it wasn't right to to meet to have meetings every week every sunday and that it wasn't right to force them to do personal progress when in our manual it says, you know, it's a very personal thing and, and that they're supposed to do it on their own at home. And so I eventually, through struggling with the spirit and being sure, you know, being sure that, that some of these changes weren't right, I went back to this bishop and he um, really feeling like the spirit was on my side and, and really feeling like um, like I was right. And I was told by this bishop that to put my head down, to obey, and um, to to follow his counsel as bishop. So I went back to to my calling and tried to implement these program, you know, these programs and these changes that he was doing. And again, just spiritual witness after spiritual witness that 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 some of these were wrong. And in the end, I was released from my calling. Um, because again, I went back to the bishop and said I I didn't feel right about it. And I think with someone with um, my my faith is very strong and my faith is definitely bigger than than any bishop or anyone else's you know telling anyone else's um, leadership in the church. And so um, you know I rolled with it and and I you know it didn't affect my testimony. But if my testimony had not been as strong, if I didn't you know if I was dependent on what the bishop told me, um, that would have affected my faith. That would have I would have quieted the spirit in order to be obedient to him rather than rather than you know doing what i knew was right right you know some time ago i went through the the church handbook and there are several different words in there one is uh, one is a steward one is oversee one is preside one you know so there's all these words in the handbook that indicate what our level is of responsibility within any auxiliary or, or leadership calling <clears throat> and it it seems so often and I'm not just saying this about you know a bishop or a stake president but just members in general we tend to want to overextend our stewardship at times and not realize that if it's a young woman's president a primary president uh, a ward mission leader that those leaders in the ward have a stewardship and that stewardship involves them receiving revelation for how how those programs um, should be run to the same extent that while the bishop does oversee and in a sense have the final last say there has to be some some mutual respect understanding that each individual has a right to receive revelation within within that calling and within the responsibility that it has right and so you you have to allow and you do have to have in this church and part of growing in this church is that you get a sense of spiritual maturity in that you allow others to make mistakes even people in leadership even great prophets even Joseph Smith 
you allow people to make mistakes and the church is still true. Um, the right. problem that, that women sometimes have is that if you are too dependent on what your bishop tells you to do or what this talk says to do or what, uh, you know, you're, you're getting all these messages from all these people. If you don't have your own spiritual compass and are not used to, um, receiving your own revelation and spiritual strength, then sometimes these women are becoming too dependent on others and others can make mistakes whereas whereas the spirit is always a true guide for you right the message seems to be trust in me depend on me rather than go back to the holy ghost and let's let's both get a confirmate confirming spirit of what what we're talking about and it's it's essentially where the answer is coming from um, right yeah, we, we, yeah, we need to do a better job of and that. And women so. do have to understand that men with the priesthood, that, that they make mistakes and that, um, you know, sometimes power is overreached and, and this and that. And women have to eventually, you know, have that message that they do, um, that the spirit will speak to them and that they were, they are equal, um, partners with the priesthood. Right. And that's a general lesson we all need to le- learn just in faith crisis in general, which is that lots of people, Within the church that you interact with, they're going to make mistakes that are going to, uh, you're going to see them and it's going to bother you, but to realize that the church can still be true even in the midst of that. Um, it's amazing how many people get offended and go inactive because of a mistake of another person serving in a leadership position. Um, we've got to, we've got to build a kind of, Absorb that and roll with it. And it's it's especially troublesome for these people when they see it in the leadership. My bishop did this. My state president did this. Or Joseph Smith did this. And they don't have the spiritual maturity to to know that there's a difference between the divine and the man. Um, And for women, it's especially hard because I, I think I got better at this when I was in the leadership of the church just as a young women's president. Because I would receive a revelation for some girl about something in the program. And it was divine and it was true and the spirit witnessed it to me. And five seconds later, I would do something incredibly stupid. And you right. eventually get, you know, some kind of spiritual maturity that, you know what, this, this message was true, but I'm still incredibly imperfect. And then once you have that maturity about yourself, you can then apply it to others. But if you're a woman who's always been dependent on others and never had those experiences um, of revelation and practice that, Specifically, if they've always, you know, just been a primary teacher or this and that, um, and always dependent on their husband, then um, we're getting these incomplete women who who aren't strong in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the last issue that you had listed that we'll talk about today, and then uh, I want to give you a chance to kind of share any final thoughts that are on your mind. The last one you have is women historians and spokesmen, and I. I realize that through a kind of a common theme throughout all these points you've talked about is a need for uh, intellectual sisters to stand up and and begin to have their voice heard, whether it be through published works or uh, within leadership within a ward or stake. Um, tell us about that. Sure. So um, I think in time we will start start to see this um, emerge in the church. And, um, for example, in the, in the Deseret News got in trouble a little while ago. They recently highlighted the top LDS intellectuals and they gave this list and they were all men. And, um, you know, some of the feminists kind of got angry. And 
you know, that's fine. Perhaps their work was superior to any LDS woman, but it just, it goes to show that among intellectuals in the church, even published authors, you know, Deseret Book doesn't carry the writings of prominent intellectual women. No one knows their names. No one's read their books, not even women. Um, and I think more females in positions like church historians or in the church curriculum councils will be helpful in validating the work that women are doing and the history of women um, in the church. For example, right now we are reading about Lorenzo Snow and there's great doctrine to be learned in that manual and I look forward to, you know, this, this year's reading. But it, it does internally make me a little bit sad that through this whole year that we're going to go through on Lorenzo Snow, we don't once talk about her his sister, Eliza Snow, who was a great, great poet and actually um, even got into gospel doctrine and teaching gospel doctrine in the church as an early um, Mormon woman. And she was called by Joseph Smith, the poetess of, you know, of the church. And how sad, you know, that, that, you know, we're reading all this stuff about her brother Lorenzo when, um, you know, it would be cool to, to hear about her as well. Um, and who are heroes that we tell stories to our little girls about? Emma, you know, her story is, is largely untold because her stance in, at the end of the church uh, at the end of her life isn't the story of fairy tales. In the Book of Mormon, only three women are mentioned by name. Women need their own stories to tell their daughters of great, um, of the great history of Mormon and Christian women. Um, and sons need to hear those stories too. And, um, I think more women historians and spokesmen and, and, um, as we see this move forward that we will, that we'll see this more. Um, there was a great opportunity a while ago. They they distributed a it, they distributed a book called Doctrines or sorry Daughters in My Kingdom, and um, they they were trying to do something like this, and it ended up being a fl kind of a flop and not being received very well. Um, and eventually, you know, we'll get better at this at at telling the story of of the woman in the church. Right. Um, I did an interview recently with Brian Whitney, who who works in the church historical department, and he, if you listen to that interview, and, and hopefully most listeners did, they he talked about some great works in in the works on the sisters of the church from their perspective, and so I hope that that comes out soon. I I realized that as you talk about this kind of last issue, that we do have a few of those types of intellectuals, but. Even those, like for instance, Fiona Givens or Claudia Bushman, who in the last five or six years have had uh, some books published, they've kind of gotten their notoriety because their spouses kind of became well-known to begin with. Right. And obviously we get this predicament from the scriptures, you know, the Bible and the Book of Mormon, uh, even the Doctrine and Covenants to a giant extent, somewhat just ignore the woman's story within these events that are going on in the scriptures. We almost always get the man's point of view. Only in a few instances is that, is there an exception to that? Right. And yet, and yet we do need this strong voice from our sisters so that, so that the sisters of the church have people to look up to in experiences that are well known that they can relate to. It's hard, it's hard for a sister to relate to Nephi cutting off Laban's head. <laughs> 
Uh, we've, we've got to do a better job of giving the sisters examples and experiences in, in life stories to, right. to, to look up to and to mold to their life as and well. And I, and I love, I um, have a great love of the scriptures, but, but a lot of those reasons why women weren't, um, in, in the scriptures as much were, were cultural reasons and were not doctrinal reasons. And so as we see our society change in America, as women get, um, you know, more rights and, and are more heard, I'm hoping to see less pushback by the church. Um, so that this can happen within the church as well in an appropriate way. Right. Let's hope so. You know, as we've had this discussion today, there will be some in the church who, who think we're calling for almost changes that would indicate we're in, in apostasy or, or, uh, fighting against the church. And yet I would propose that everything you've mentioned and everything that you and I have talked about doesn't require any doctrinal changes. It doesn't require anything to change within the gospel. It's simply asking for us to build better frameworks so that our sisters can can feel as accepted and have stories to to relate to and have ways to express the things they're thinking and the the way in which they're approaching the world. And I just I think everything you shared today, Brittany, is. Uh, it's been beautiful. I appreciate so th- it. So I thank you a lot. Is there anything that, kind of wrapping up, is there anything that we you, we missed that you want to mention? Anything else you want to kind of cover before um, before I share a last thought with you? For my closing thoughts, I just want to say um, to any women listening, um, I'm thinking specifically of a, of a cousin that I have who's currently going through a faith crisis. And um, kind of like your, your other co- podcast um, interviewer, interviewees, I just want to say to the other women who may be listening that if you are in the midst of a faith crisis and don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and don't think that you can ever find a place within the church and are struggling with things that you think and things that you believe, um, that there is a way to reconcile it all. And it it takes some work, um, but it is a worthy work to be done and that at the end of it, you will find that you are a, a stronger Mormon for it. And then once you are converted, um, go out and, and convert your brethren. And in this case, I'm going to replace that with sisters. Um, women going through a faith crisis and know, and know kind of some of the, the areas that we need more resources and we need more support for women um, are often women who have gone through it alone. And so if you are going through a faith crisis or if you are struggling with polygamy or Joseph Smith or or feeling like an outcast of the church, maybe you're not a mother or a wife, um, that that this gospel is for everyone and that there is a way to reconcile everything and make you a strong, complete woman in the church. And that once you get there, there is work to do to to help to help um, the next generation of women to make it easier for them. Yeah, it sure seems like when we're in that that dark night of the soul, that the midst of that faith crisis, when it it just seems like everything uh, is looking down, we don't see any way to to make it better. We we don't comprehend that we can come out the other side and still have faith in the church, that we can still believe. And so I appreciate your words there. I think I hope all the sisters who listen to this uh, take that to heart and realize that that there's lots of opportunities within the gospel 
to better understand things and to still have faith. So thank you so much. One last question I wanted to ask you was, I know that there's going to be sisters who listen to this podcast who, who as you're speaking, will, will say amen at the top of their lungs and will have questions and things that they want to ask. Would you mind if we put your email up um, on the podcast just so that people can write you and, and ask you questions as they feel a need to? Yeah, I would be delighted. Awesome. Excellent. Um, Brittany, thank you so much for being on Mormon Discussion. Thanks for having me. All right. Have an awesome day. You too. This concludes another episode of Mormon Discussion and my two-part interview with Brittany Hartley. I would simply ask that if there's anyone out there who would like to have your story heard or who would like to have a certain topic discussed within the podcast of Mormon Discussion, please email me at realmormon, R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N, at gmail.com. God bless, and may the Lord warm your shoulders. Of every blessing, tune my heart.